0: Hi, everyone.
1: My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 63 of the show, where we are in the month of July, 1964. And it is our third episode to be in July because we had the annual of Fantastic Four Annual 2 back in episode 61. We had the first week of releases in episode 62. And we're going to get into the second week of releases, this episode and next episode.
0: Next episode is going to be episode number 64 in
1: 1964. 64 is a square and a cube.
0: Yeah. So that'll be much more interesting. But But suffer suffer through this one anyway, guys. Um, Right. Yeah. So we got three tonight, hopefully. And guess what, everybody? I'm not going to say for once, but for not very often, I don't have to cover our first book tonight, which is sergeant fury and his howling commandos which for some reason i often get saddled with but uh i'm happy to just sit back and let you take that one john this time
1: the, the list that we made like you know in 2018 march is, is smiling on you yeah um so yeah i have sergeant fury 10 which is called on to okinawa come on you gold bricks don't just stand there join fury's howlers for the battle of your life um, we have a cool cover of a bunch of howlers fighting a bunch of, looks like they're fighting a bunch of Navy men on the, on the deck of a ship.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's like the villains actually aren't on the cover. It's their Everybody's shooting off camera or something.
1: Yeah. Like you get a, a hint in like the left hand and the right hand edges of, um, what are probably Japanese men in red uh, uniforms, but mostly, mostly the, the enemies are off camera. Okay. So this is written by Stanley, the old three striper himself, illustrated Hmm. by Dick Ayers, the old high flying corporal and inked by George Bell, lettered by Sam Rosen. Now, it says the old three striper himself. Did Stanley become a sergeant? Is Sergeant Fury partially? No, Stanley didn't. He didn't go in the field, though. He had a desk job, right?
0: I have no idea. And I was just actually wondering what three stripes meant. But I guess it is sergeant, right?
1: Right. Because that's what Nick has. Maybe he's a three-striper because he's in charge of the bullpen, and he's kind of the Fury of the bullpen.
0: Yeah, we talked before he's just, about
1: how Fury's added He kind of modeled after Lee a little bit.
0: Yeah, maybe he's just comparing himself to the character in the book versus yep. actual life.
1: Okay, so we open up with the Howlers on a training mission. They're just kind of out there doing stuff, and um, they get they run into Happy Sam, who uh, tells them that he's going to walk with them as they hike back to uh, base. And that's a 20-mile hike. Which is going to be a really long hike, but you know the officer's there, and he tells them that they have um, a an officer who is behind enemy lines in Okinawa, and they need to go and rescue him. <clears throat> um, they are getting ready to plan an attack on Okinawa, and this is a the man they need to get in touch with before they do that. So. The guy they're going to go save, his name is Phil Parker, Colonel Phil Parker, which I thought might be an actual figure of history, because I give him, like, a, a glorious portrait and everything, but I couldn't find anything about him. You, so you, mean, all, it, you mean old Pillbox Parker? Yeah. Okay. That one. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I, didn't, I didn't find him anywhere. Me neither. <laughs> so, um... You know, the guys are all back at, the, at, at their barracks. And just like happens so often, they're all planning for a nice relaxation weekend. They just got off heavy training. They're ready to go and do some fun times. But no, they have a mission. Um, and so they're not happy with that. What they're going to end up doing is they're going to end up flying over the ocean and meeting up with a submarine and the submarine is going to get them close to the Japanese coast. Now around this time, Okinawa was being occupied by Japan. Um, they had been for, I believe, a few decades. I have some things written down. I'll, I'll confirm in a few minutes. It didn't used to be a Japanese location. Uh, it used to be someplace near Japan. Anyway, so we get on a submarine and the submarine, there's a little bit of an army versus navy hijinks on the submarine. The sub captain gets us close to the coastline. We, um, our howlers go into Okinawa and they find a, um, an o- a uniformed officer in the jungle nearby. They catch him, they take his uh, costume, his costume, his uniform, and they put it on Izzy Klein. And they get Dino Manelli to get out some putty and other makeup stuff to sort of reshape Izzy's face to resemble a Japanese face. It's, it's not the most delicate of, of storytelling points that we've ever had in this comic. And uh, to cover the fact that he can't speak Japanese, they give him a bandage over his mouth as if he has been shot in the face. So they get to the uh, Japanese encampment, the nearest, you know, setup. Turns out he's impersonating a really high-ranking officer and didn't even realize it. Uh, so he like, you know, sort of bosses his people around and he acts like the howlers are his prisoner. He takes them to the nearest uh, prisoner of war, uh, in prison, I guess. And, um, there's, they, they find that person they want to rescue. Um, they do some more shenanigans where Dino, not Dino, uh, Colonel Parker, who does know Japanese stands behind Izzy <laughs> and says the Japanese for him. So that Izzy can act like he's talking. Um, it's it's a little bit weird, a little bit overwrought. They do basically get away. There's not a whole lot else to it. They get away. They rescue their colonel, and they get back to barracks. And Pamela makes a brief appearance with uh, with Nick there at the end to congratulate him on his trip to Okinawa. Actually, she doesn't really believe him. Whenever he tells this story, she says, "Honestly, Nicholas, can't you ever be serious?" And that's the end of the story.
0: Yeah, it's like because this is the first time they've gone to the uh, Pacific, right? Usually, <laughs> yes, they're usually they're doing the German or you know near their missions.
1: Yeah, that's a big deal because they they're used to writing missions in 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 Europe. Yeah, and this is over in the Pacific theater, and it's very very different. It's jungles. It's a different style of warfare, um,
0: which didn't seem to stop them or change anything about the stories all that much, really. But they did they did mention that anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Um, I feel a little bit bad because whenever I read this, I only know Okinawa because of that one scene in Karate Kid. Oh, right, sure. China here, Japan here, or, Okinawa here.
0: Yeah, yeah, or the entire Karate Kid too.
1: Right, right. Yeah. So my entire childhood, I thought Okinawa was separate from Japan. So mm-hmm. I did some looking because I realized that proclaiming my ignorance of another country is not really the, the the best move. So I tried to fill in some of that with just a little bit of research. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Japan has several islands. Well, down south of Japan are, are, is a string, an archipelago of a whole bunch of smaller islands in a chain. And that is what's known as the Ryukyu Kingdom, mm-hmm. uh, or at least it was known for several centuries, and Okinawa was part of that. Uh, Okinawa is the largest of those islands. that was made part of Japan in the 1870s. Okay. So they have their own culture. They have their own history. Japan's been around You know, for a generation or two, but it's a relatively new thing. During World War II, it's going to be the site of a three-month-long bloody battle as U.S. military forces capture it for a staging ground for a planned invasion of Japan. Um, There's like 160,000 deaths. It's pretty horrible. Most of those are Japanese and then we would then occupy the island for years after the war and were still pretty strong militarily in the in that area until the 1970s. Um so that battle is still in the future. They make a couple of references to the fact that they're planning it in this comic. Um but yeah, Okinawa was a big deal in World War 2.
0: So but before they take it it's considered Japan's at this point.
1: Right now we are in Japan, yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Wow. So um it, there's there's not a whole lot to the story really.
0: No, it's kind of the same old thing they do. Impossible mission. In the end. Uh-huh. Um, I have to say I don't miss Jack Kirby's art like I thought I would. So that's right. something. Like I actually kind of find it an easier read now with um, with Ayers maybe because I think Jack is like really good at comical drawings and really um, chaotic. Uh, Action? Not, not in a bad way, but chaotic, like, not just even action. Like, just when they were, like, horsing around in the locker rooms or something. It's just, like, crazy chaos and stuff. And this is just a little more straightforward, a little more talking heads. So I guess I could just flip the pages faster.
1: Um, Yeah. And I feel like the faces have a bit more distinction between them. Oh, between them, Yes. You, you see Izzy, you know it's Izzy. You see Rebel, you know it's Rebel. Um, <clears throat> but this is – yeah, this is basically – there are a couple of points I thought were funny. Like on page seven, um, there's a panel at the end. Sarge, there's one little thing you forgot to tell us about this mission. Yeah. What's that? It's impossible. <laughs> yeah. Which is like every issue of of Fury. They're always running the impossible missions.
0: Uh huh. And this case literally, because they can do the, uh, the, uh, disguise thing in five seconds. Mission impossible. Um, <laughs>
1: Oh yeah. Which has not come out yet.
0: No, no. Um, is it just me or – I mean, maybe you didn't because you've already read this before. But we got introduced to that one character and like now he he's just fallen in line with everybody else and kind of doesn't stand out or do anything. Sort of weird. Oh, the, the colonel they rescue? No. Uh, French whatever. Or is he French? What's his What was his name? I don't even remember now. You know, the gay guy.
1: Oh, Percy. Percy. Yeah, Percy, thank you. He's
0: British. British, right. But, uh, you know. He doesn't really a big, get a
1: whole lot of shine in this episode.
0: Or the last one either. Like he, they made this big deal of him and then he's done nothing since. That's kind of sad.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he is just kind of part of the crowd. I feel like he stood out a little bit last issue, but but he does kind of blend in with the group. Um it's not really a character-driven series. No. It's very much a, a story-driven series. The character comes along through the dynamics of the interactions. Mm-hmm. But it's mostly through the joking, really.
0: Yeah, there's just a lot of joking and no particular, you know, drama outside of the action, I guess.
1: Speaking of uh, joking, Dugan's mother in law, it's not just an in joke to readers. Like, there's an in joke to the howlers. They tease him by his mother in law, too, now.
0: Mm hmm. So, I don't really have a lot to say other than uh, obviously the big thing is the whole like impersonating a Japanese officer business. Yeah. Uh, I will say, like you were saying in the summary, like, it's kind of awkward, but it's not like yellow skin with lots of fangs golden age awkward. It's a no. little more little more respectful than that, but it's still just weird to see, I guess. I don't know. Yeah,
1: I mean, it, it, it's probably not exactly the same flavor, but it feels like a similar flavor to like, you know, we've got to infiltrate mm-hmm. this African camp. So let's all put on blackface.
0: Yeah, because they still give him black or not black teeth. They still give him big teeth mm-hmm. and they all have like. Bushy eyebrows and the, you know, the really thin, uh, mustaches and stuff. And I don't know, it's just hard to tell like where artistic art, you know, artistic representation begins and like racism ends or whatever, you know? Right. Uh, because in some ways there are shorthands, I guess you could use if you were an artist to indicate someone's ethnicity. But yeah, I don't think we're there yet. I
1: don't think yeah, we're quite just, there yet. Just looking at the art, I feel like this is probably the least offensive stuff I've ever seen in the 60s Mm -hmm. as far as depicting Japanese people as looking different from, you know, features that are different from Caucasian features, Mm -hmm. but not not cartoonishly. So Um,
0: I guess it doesn't help that they're all like evil and smiling and stuff like that. But then, to be fair, they do that with the Germans and all that, too. Like, these are the bad guys of this. So what are you going to do?
1: I was just kind of wrapped up in the fact that, okay, so he's dressed up as a Japanese officer, a Japanese officer of some importance. Mm -hmm. And sure, he's covering up for the fact that he can't speak Japanese, but probably a lot of people are going to talk to him in Japanese. And eventually they have a scene where that becomes an issue. Mm -hmm. But like, like from the very first moment that they walk into the camp, I was like, how is he going to get through this? He can't understand what anybody is saying to him.
0: Yeah, because he walks into camp with the howlers as his prisoner. Mm
1: -hmm. So
0: you would think there'd be a lot of talking at that point.
1: Yeah. Like I have these prisoners or Hey, captain, are those prisoners? Right.
0: Where'd (laughs) you get these? How'd you do that? Tell us your awesome tale. Um, yeah, though it does, it does get. Yeah. I like also that they didn't know he, they were surprised he didn't speak Japanese. I guess they don't know like what languages he knows. Yeah. But, uh, again, this is their, their first time here. So maybe they just assume he knows how to do everything like that for some reason.
1: And at the end of the story, they um, they finally get arrest and Pamela shows up. Which mm-hmm. I say about Pamela, we you know we haven't seen nearly as much of her as I thought we were going to be seeing.
0: And we keep saying that about every freaking girlfriend in 1964 that gets introduced. Um, Johnny's girlfriend, uh, Doris uh, Evans, yeah, Doris, and uh, 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 like even the ones that are even like freaking like say even Betty, who probably gets a lot of screen time for us uh, or page time for us. Like she's still, we don't see them dating or anything. So it's just, it's like dating. I don't know. It's just a thing. You got to have a girl on their arm every once in a while, but otherwise it doesn't matter.
1: We got to have them either be important to the story or at least have a scene where they're important to the person. Yeah. I feel like Spider-Man does that with Betty. Betty is obviously important to Peter. We see enough of that. Yeah. yeah. We don't see scenes where Dory is important to Johnny. Or even,
0: uh, like, uh, see, I can't even think of their names right now. Alicia, for instance. She doesn't get a lot of time. Uh, 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 Jane Foster hasn't been getting much time.
1: I don't know. I can't even think of them. Yeah, we see Jane almost every issue. Right. I would say she's not as much of a character as Betty Brant is, like, as far as fleshed out. Mm -hmm. But we do see her.
0: Yeah, that's true. Because they work together.
1: Yeah. But, yeah, I don't have a whole lot else on Sergeant Fury 10.
0: That's okay, because I think the next two books, we're going to have a lot more to talk about. Or the next one, maybe, because I don't know. Definitely the next one. So that's mine. Yay. Uh, Tales of Suspense featuring The Power of Iron Man, number 58, which is a big one, kids, because this is the last one. Where Iron Man gets to have this title by himself, or sharing it with the watcher, I guess. Sharing I it
1: with the watcher, yeah.
0: If you count that. Uh, it came out in on uh or cover dated October, on sale July 9th still. It's called Immortal Combat with Captain America. And on the cover it says, Why are these two gallant allies, gallant allies, battling each other to the bitter end, mainly to get you to buy this mag. <laughs> That's funny. Um <laughs> Every word you're about to read was written by old faithful Stan Lee, one of the world's most prolific scriptwriters. Every drawing you're about to marvel at was created by Don Heck, one of America's most promising illustrators. Every bit of inking you're about to savor was done by Dick Ayers, one of the industry's most painstaking artists. Every sentence you're about to scan was hand-printed by Sam Rosen, one of Marvel's most... What does that say? Perspicious letters? Yeah. I couldn't read it. It was kind of blurry. Anyway... Uh, yeah, well, I already said the title. So it starts out with a nice cool splash page of, like, Iron Man kind of back rubbing a shark. And I guess what he's doing is testing the underwater abilities of his armor that he's installed. And he was able to go a whole 15 minutes underwater without dying. So that's something. Um, then he flies out and he heads back towards a Stark, uh, you know, manufacturing plant or something. And meanwhile, below, there's a boat passing by. And it turns out that boat has the villainous Craven the Hunter and Chameleon. Um, when last we saw them, they were being deported for their shenanigans in Spider-Man number 15. Um, but they pay off somebody. We don't really know who. Somebody with hands. And they get use of the escape boat and they paddle their way back to shore. And Craven and Chameleon are not kind of getting along at this point because, you know, that's how villains are when things don't go well. They're pointing fingers and yelling at each other. Craven decides, I'm just going to ditch you. And he climbs up the hill um, Chameleon's like, I wouldn't go that way. That's where Stark Tower is. He's like, bah, who cares? But when he reaches the top, Iron Man's standing there. <laughs> um, he tries to beat Iron Man, but Iron Man punches him once, and he's unconscious. Uh, Spider-Man's like, wow, how'd you do that? Um, but Chameleon gets away. Meanwhile, I can't remember why, but for some reason, Happy is sad and Pepper's in. Oh, because he's wearing a dumb jacket, and it's really – ugly and obnoxious it's like a yellow green red plaid jacket and Pepper's like oh my god stay away from me you're weird um suddenly a weak beat up shirt torn you know everything captain america comes stumbling in and he's looking for iron man so of course tony's there and he turns to iron man and says i'll take him into the back office where i where cap tells him the tale of what happened um um, he says he was responding to a like a robbery or a fire or a call or something. I can't remember. And this old man gasses him. And when he woke up, he was in this weird machine. And next to him was this guy named the Chameleon, also in that machine. And they swapped or he stole all his memories or something like that and uh, and put on a suit and is impersonating him. And he's going around town as Cap and Iron Man, can you please stop him? So Iron Man's like, heck, yeah, I can stop him. And he flies away. On
1: heck, yeah. Don
0: Hick, yeah, I can stop him, and he flies away, and then meanwhile, that Cap in the office, like, smiles evilly, which kind of indicates that maybe he's just been played. So he flies straight over to the Avengers Mansion, and he smashes through because he owns the building. Um, And Cap, the real Cap, is like, hey, how's it going? He's like, yeah, right, I know you're the chameleon, and tries to, like, assault him, and he grabs his shoulder, but Cap's, like, not going to have any of that, so he backhands him with his shield and then starts running away because iron man's iron man um, and he's like dude i don't really want to fight i'm not really sure what's going on can we talk and he's like yeah right that's what the chameleon would say so cap's finally like fine you want to fight let's fight and he like turns around from his running and kicks him as hard as he can in the face this normally probably wouldn't hurt iron man so much except he realizes now that He's been testing his underwater thing, and then he rescued, he arrested King and brought him to prison. And then he's just been shuffling around the office and stuff. And guess what? He never charged. So suddenly his power is going down, and he falls down into an alleyway and decides to kind of walk away. I think he says escape, but it looks like he's just walking away. Anyway, Cap lets him and goes like, what the heck got into that guy? Um, meanwhile, Pepper and Happy were supposed to be watching the chameleon Cap you know, who they think is the real cap, but he, uh, uh, uh is gone. So whoops, what are we going to do? Well, let's call Tony or Iron Man. Well, we don't know how, well, I know in Tony's car is an Iron Man finder. We can get into that in a second. <laughs> Put a pin in that. So they use it to go find him. Meanwhile, caps like just kind of walking around the city looking for wherever it is. Iron Man walked off to, cause he's like concerned that the dude's going crazy or something's wrong, or he wants to become his friend again. Cause he doesn't have a lot of friends right now. Um, and he sees Iron Man flying around. So he kind of ducks into, I can't remember what it is. Some sort of like rock crushing plant or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and Iron Man sees him and busts through the window. And there's like a guy there who's the, in charge of, you know, the night foreman or whatever. And Cap like pushes him aside so he doesn't get hurt. And they get into a fist fight and Cap punches Iron Man into. The, uh, you know, gravel, something or other that crushes gravel, it doesn't hurt him, but he's stuck in there. He can't get out. He's kind of like clanging around like he was stuck in a dryer or something like that. Um, Cap's worried that he is hurting him, though, so he stops the machine from twirling around, which lets Iron Man escape when Iron Man busts out because the gravel machine thing makes a lot of crushed rock and smoke and stuff. Like the whole place is now full of smoke because Iron Man like busts through the side of it. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so nobody can see. So meanwhile, of course, this is when Pepper and uh uh Happy, with the awesome Iron Man tracker, find Iron Man. And they go inside and they're like stumbling around. They can't see. Iron Man can't see. Um, Of course, Happy then stumbles. He's about to fall into the gravity thing himself. And Captain America's there and he catches him and saves him. At which point Iron Man's like, hey, wait a minute. I don't think the chameleon would save somebody for no reason. Um, Maybe you're not the chameleon. And Cap's like, yeah, who's the chameleon? Um, Then I think Pepper's also stuck in the sand and they have to save her. And just when they think everything is kind of okay, these big jaws come out of nowhere from the factory and try and kill Iron Man, but he just punches them. And he's like, who is that? And then it turns out Giant Man and the Wasp are there too. And Giant Man has chameleon Cap. And I can't remember why he has chameleon Cap. Because, oh, the ants saw the fight, of course. The ants saw the fight, and they reported it. And so they went to investigate. When they came to investigate, they saw Chameleon Cap, like, evilly lurking, uh, you know, through a window. So they decided to just grab him and arrest him. Um, Cap says, no hard feelings. Iron Man goes home, kind of thinks about his, what he, you know, how why he uh, did what he did, because he kind of feels bad that he ha- he reacted without thinking, and decides that in the future, he's going to use his brain more than his brawn. The end.
1: So I've read this story a lot. Yeah, I imagine you probably have too. Yep. Yeah, what'd you think of it?
0: I enjoyed it. I still, I always enjoy it. I mean, I know it's kind of just a fight, but
1: yeah, uh, I, I think it's I enjoyed fun. it more this time than I did last time. Yeah. Uh, last time I read it for um, an Iron Man show, and I remember not really digging it that much then. But I was kind of into it this time. Yeah, it's fun.
0: Um, it's it's interesting because I haven't read it from the perspective of Spider Man fifteen. So that was neat that the story kind of directly continues from that. In a way.
1: Right. And even though the annual is already out at this point, this does set up the fact that Craven's back in the country.
0: Yeah, they must not have got very far because they're still an American. Unless they paid off a guy to turn the boat around, it seems like the boat hasn't even left America yet and they're already escaping. So
1: Something like that, yeah.
0: Yeah, it probably hasn't been that long.
1: So wherever Iron Man took Craven, he didn't get deported again. He just got put somewhere and mm-hmm. escaped just like everybody else did in that story. Um, but yeah, this is my first time to kind of read amazing 15 and the annual and this issue is sort of all in close proximity. That was neat.
0: I love the, uh, I mean, we don't get a lot of Craven, but I do like Don Hex Craven. And also I really love the Superman esque moment on page three where, you know, the guy with the suction cups is climbing up the building and he sees feet. Uh, they do this. I mean, <laughs> they, they did this first obviously, but you know, he's climbing up the mountain to get away and there's Iron Man's feet like waiting for him. And then uh, right. he tries to fight and doesn't go very well. Two panels,
1: not too well, not too well. No, not too well. That was cool. Um, I I was giggling at the Pepper and Happy shenanigans mm-hmm. when she pulls out the sunglasses because mm-hmm. his 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 jacket was so loud and bright. That was pretty great. And those are some very sixties chic sunglasses.
0: Yeah, cat eyes. Right, bedazzled cat eyes. Does her purse say Pepper or? Is that just a P for no reason or what?
1: Yeah, there is definitely a a monogrammed P on there.
0: And it also is the same color as her dress. So she's a real styling lady, I guess. Yeah. Unlike uh, apparently happy, because that's like a horrible jacket that nobody should like. But
1: He says the guy at the clothing store kind of looked at him funny whenever he picked it out. But I'm like, why would you try to sell clothes that you don't think anyone's going to (sighs) buy?
0: I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe he's just retail or something. Yeah. Um. Uh. uh,
1: uh,
0: uh yeah. So, so I don't like, and I've never liked that, kind of like how easily duped Iron Man is. Like, if you're an Iron Man fan, this is not a great story for your hero in some ways. Because, you know, he just goes crashing through Avengers Mansion and picks a fight, you know? Which is like... I mean, I I get it's early days still, so we're not used to everybody impersonating everybody and stuff like that. But you would think there'd be a little pause. Like, this is a guy in Avengers Mansion somehow, and he's greeting me friendly. And, you know, that doesn't really deter him. Plus, I'm not really sure why he smashed the wall in the first place since he probably has a key. But
1: He does probably have a key. Um, I get what you're saying. One thing I did like about this, though, is how how much it fools the reader. Mm Mm-hmm. Like we're expecting the chameleon to show up and then cap shows up saying the chameleon showed up. Mm-hmm. We don't get the chameleon, like hatching a plan and working it out ahead of time. True. It, it, you know, depending on how savvy of a reader you are, obviously, but it's very easy to go into that scene thinking that they have the real cap, you know, they're in the office.
0: Yeah. And they even give us a flashback. that's fake. Mm-hmm. Um, you ever seen uh Reservoir
1: Dogs? Uh, once a long time ago. I don't really well, remember it.
0: Well, there's that scene where he has to tell – he's undercover and he has to tell the bad guys a funny story. So he learns this funny story. And then we actually see that story in the movie because like, he's learned it so much he can actually visualize it even though it never really happened. you know? Right. And so we're kind of getting that here. like We get a flashback that's not real. And it isn't until page seven when he smiles evilly that if you're a reader, you probably get an idea that something's going on. Right. Especially since he says he fell for it, it worked. If they, they should have just omitted that panel and made us guess longer.
1: I think so. I think it would have been effective if they had just like let it play out a little bit more.
0: Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, then it just becomes fight mostly.
1: There is there's a lot of fight. Um it's a fun fight, if, but page uh is it seven? Yeah, okay, so you know, Iron Man flies to Avengers Mansion. Mm-hmm. And it is his mansion. So it's like Reaching the midtown mansion of wealthy Tony Stark, which serves as Avengers headquarters, Iron Man crashes in. They could have just said, so Iron Man flies home and busts in his wall. Because, <laughs> am I wrong? Is This this is the mansion where Tony lives, right? This is his residential location. Well, this is for Avengers headquarters. Right, but isn't it where he lives? Oh, do you mean he, it's one and the same? I don't know where he lives. Do we know where he lives? Every time it says Tony Stark's mansion I, that he was letting them use for headquarters, I figured that... He lived in the West Wing and they met in the, huh. in the East Wing or something.
0: For some reason, I never pictured it that way, but it very well could be. Why not? I mean, I don't, we don't really see him home ever, do we? No. He's always at a factory or in the office or in a closet dying or something. Um, that is weird. I always just picture the Avengers Mansion as a as like a dedicated place for the Avengers and nobody hangs there. But like, does that mean Cap gets up to brush his teeth in the morning and Tony's like shuffling around in his robe and stuff?
1: That I hadn't actually thought about that connection yet, but I mean, I mean there I don't is Jarvis any well, other indication of where Tony lives, and this is yeah, yes, Jarvis is there, and does Jarvis belong to Tony or does Jarvis belong to the Avengers?
0: Yeah, you would I mean, I've always felt that Jarvis was Tony's first because it seemed like they had that connection, but I really don't he's, know,
1: yeah, the first time we ever see Jarvis is in connection with um helping out Captain America while he's living in the Avengers Mansion.
0: Okay, so maybe he was hired specifically for the Avengers. I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. Um, yeah, that's weird. But either way, he shouldn't have to break in because, you know, it's his. No, it's his, it's, it's his place. Yeah, he's just wrecking <laughs> the, it for no reason.
1: The fact that Captain America so easily laughs off Tony's attack says weird things about Avengers friendships.
0: Well, yeah, again, it's early days, and I, they don't even know each other's identity. So in a weird way, they have they have a weird relationship. Because we have, like, we we have the Fantastic Four who are always together. We have the X-Men who, like, went to school together and stuff. And then we have these guys, these Avengers guys who are just, like, they have their own worlds, their own lives. And they've kind of awkwardly assembled to take care of, at first, their own selfish problems. And now they're trying to save, you know, uh, 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 more humanistically or whatever. But, like, do they know each other? You know? They don't, really. They don't really. I mean, we're going to find in the next Avengers book we cover that there's stuff that they don't know about iron man you know because they don't know anything about anybody they probably know the most about cap because his stuff's probably all on record or something because he's been dead for 20 years
1: right right anyway um the stuff with happy and pepper getting caught in the factory felt like shenanigans and padding
0: okay so let's talk about the pin why does iron man in his car have a or why does tony stark in his car have an iron man finder <laughs> does he not know where Iron Man is? He's Iron Man. Um I don't understand this concept. Or am I reading it wrong? So he can it, find Iron Man whenever he needs him. They literally say that, and it's got a little beeper and an arrow. Right. Like, and it's his car. They're taking his car. So it's like, does Tony forget where he leaves his suitcase sometimes or something?
1: So the only thing I can think of is the only reason he would ever be without his armor is if somebody has stolen it. Mm. And so he has a tracer for finding his armor when it gets okay.
0: stolen. That's cool head cannon. like thinking ahead.
1: But I bet you the next time his armor gets stolen, or the first <laughs> time it gets stolen, we're not going to use this tracer. <laughs> we're not going to see this in
0: Armor Wars, huh? No.
1: No, I don't think so.
0: <laughs> You're right. I think it was just like a cheap way of getting them there somehow. But anyway.
1: Well, I like that they're getting there and they, they're catching up to Iron Man. But once they get there and there's just like... It doesn't contribute to the story. It's just kind of you know, oh, she's got caught in the sin and she gets out and she gets mad that her hair's messed up. It's just I don't know.
0: It's mostly to prove that Cap is a good guy because he saves he saves Happy.
1: Oh, it does give. A, you're right. It does yeah. give an avenue for Captain America to save someone.
0: Yeah, I like the. I mean, this kind of goes nowhere, but the Night Watchman guy is cool. Yeah, it's Captain America, my childhood hero. We don't get that a lot right now yet, but yeah, I mean even. Even in 1964, Cap's been frozen for long enough to where someone in his 40s could ha- could have liked him as a kid, you know?
1: Right. We saw a couple of those in the Avengers number four. But mm-hmm. since then, it's been, you know, in too fact, busy doing missions.
0: You can't have that now. Because theoretically, if there's like that 10-year timing sl- or, you know, sliding timeline, then he wakes up in 2009. Oh, you're right. So, like, nobody has a childhood hero of, you know, at least not like – When he was alive, like nobody's been alive that that, uh, was around, you know, Mm -hmm. nobody's alive anymore that was around. So he can't have that anymore.
1: Well, yeah, they're World War II veterans. The ones that are still alive are very, very, very old. Right. It's weird when the Wasp says it's like an old Avengers class reunion, which implies that it's been a while since they saw each other. Mm -hmm. But it hasn't been a while since they saw each other.
0: Especially since the Avengers seem to be in every issue of everybody else's book.
1: They have been showing up a lot lately.
0: So there, we have never had any Avengers downtime since it started, really.
1: Yeah. They're like, oh, there's Thor. Let's go get in his way.
0: That is a cool panel, though, of of Chameleon Cat being held by these two giant hands that come out of nowhere. That was kind of mm-hmm. neat.
1: That was kind of neat.
0: Um,
1: Pepper cares about happy seeing her at her best.
0: Oh, yeah. And Wasp had to comment on it, right? What's wrong with your hair? So mean. <laughs> so mean.
1: My hair.
0: Yeah, your hair looks like crap, girl.
1: Oh, no. And my last note on this story is that next to last panel. Mm. Well, partner, I'm glad it all came out in the wash. No hard feelings? Of course not, Cap. Mm Mm-hmm. So this panel is the one element of this story that I had read before I read this actual story for the first time. How's that? Because this is referenced in Iron Man Captain America Casualties of War. okay. That. Civil War one shot issue where they mm. like have a conversation in, in a mansion.
0: Oh, I kind of remember that. That's cool. Yeah,
1: that w- that was one of the moments of Civil War that really stands out to me is they try to set aside their weapons and just talk it out, and it kind of goes through the history of their relationship. Mm-hmm. And and this is one of the things that gets brought up is their chameleon fight and how they laughed it all off and how it was so easy to laugh it off at the time, but they can't laugh off what's going on now. Can you hear that? <laughs> I can. <All> right. <laughs> we could keep on going if you want.
0: Um, yeah, that's cool. I like when they flash back to that stuff. And Cap and Iron Man will have a, you know, rocky relationship. So, But that's what makes uh, interesting relationships in comics, too, I think. Yeah. So it's just the beginning. The first time they punched each other.
1: The first time they punched each other. <laughs> the most recent time was in Captain America Civil War film, right? Uh,
0: I imagine so. I don't really necessarily follow new comics, so I don't know if they've been mad at each other. Fair, but
1: yeah i haven't followed new comics in a while either not not marvel anyway
0: all right um okay anything else you want to say
1: no i think we're i think we're ready to see the watcher series die
0: okay so speaking of last time yeah the watcher must die how how appropriate i never even realized that till just now the watcher must die because they are killing him off in this but not really not figured just figuratively um all right Let me try and remember this fricking tale. It's a tale of most compelling merit by Stan Lee. Illustrations of singular excellence by George Tuska. Lettering of breathtaking adequacy by Art (laughs)
1: Simek. That is so amazingly adequate. Yeah.
0: All right. So there's this sector called 14X, and everybody's been killed or obliterated or taken over except the Watcher. And, of course, Warlord Rog with a W. Uh... Doesn't like that. He wants 100%. So there's a bunch of pages much like that. Remember that really bad Thor story where they're like, there's these random aliens that wanted to take over the world? There's a bunch of pages like that. Well, we're the best, and they're patting themselves on the back, and we have a big armada, and they're flying around. Anyway, they go and confront the Watcher, and he seems pretty chill because he's the Watcher, and they're like, Yeah, look at our amazing powers. And he's like, Oh, yeah, you learned how to harness energy, huh? That's kind of cool. I remember when we did that when we were babies. Or whatever, and the guy's like super giant, and the watcher's small for some reason, which is kind of weird because usually it's the other way around. And he's like, "You, you should be scared of us." And he's like, "Yeah, I'm not really scared." He's like, "Well, we're gonna kill you then because you can't do anything." It's like, "Well, I'm gonna do something to defend myself, so I'm gonna do the bare minimum." What's the bare minimum? I'm gonna make you live your entire lifetime, but in like five seconds. So you were gonna live to be eighty. Well, now you're 80 and these guys all like the general and his most elite guards all turn really old, really fast, skinny, gray, fall over and die. And then the rest of his army runs away scared and he's like, yeah, bad guys shouldn't use evil for or shouldn't use their powers for evil things. And that's the end.
1: They shouldn't use evil for evil.
0: Yeah, they shouldn't be evil. Why does everybody try and be evil? That's the last so, we yeah. see of The Watcher. Well, I mean, not really, but the last he gets of this book and this story.
1: It's the last of the Watcher series anymore. Anyway. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Does he ever get another series?
1: Um, I think he does. I think there's a Tales of the Watcher in the 70s at some point.
0: Well, he gets to be the narrator of What If, which is kind of his baby. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that gives us any information on him per se, but.
1: Right. Well, this barely did, right?
0: This barely does either, yeah. Yeah, this wasn't great.
1: Um, we do. He he does get called the most powerful being in the universe. Uh uh-huh. huh. He, he was called that in another. Issue and I was kind of questioning it at the time. But he says he has like all control over all physical forces. Mm-hmm. Like, which I guess does make him the most powerful being in the universe. He I've probably al- is really, really super amazing, but powerful. I've always been
0: under the impression that he was incredibly powerful, and it wasn't until I started reading these where at least initially it didn't seem like he was as powerful as I thought. You know, with those origin issues. But uh yeah, now he's kind of back to being just like omnipotent guy, which is what I've always thought he was. Right. Um he doesn't even that- like justify anything in this one like they're just done with that the whole him justifying (laughs) things that don't make us happy Like he doesn't even say I can't interfere but he doesn't even say interfere at all I don't think it's just like no I'm going to defend myself and I'm more powerful than you die and then they die
1: so so they're dead now
0: Eh. I don't know if that's against his rules or not like are they allowed to defend themselves he doesn't really say
1: yeah I don't know because he specified was it last time whenever they attacked his home planet Mm -hmm. that like They can't interfere with other cultures developing, but defending their own planet is not interfering with another culture. Seems like the same sort of logic would apply here.
0: So if this is his other, is his culture or planet part from sector 14X, or is he just standing in 14X to be annoying to this one guy who wants complete death of 14X?
1: See, when I was reading it, I first read it as 14X was his home, but Mm. like... He lives on the moon and 14x is not our sector or if it is they're saying here that everyone's dead and and, and we're not dead so
0: yeah it was a little I wasn't really sure how that worked because he's yeah. like he's letting them blow up the buildings and stuff to show their power right but then he kills them anyway
1: it's one of those things where I feel like we might actually be thinking about it more than the people who wrote the story <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, yes that's probably true of all these stories but anyway <laughs>
1: All right, so does that wrap up Tales of Suspense 58? Yep, very, very fun.
0: Can't wait for, uh, you know, the future now. we got two. got an Iron Man and Cap story every issue to cover, so that'll be more Cap's fun. Captain
1: America's solo starts next month. Yeah.
0: I'm pretty sure those stories aren't great, but it'll still be fun to, to cover. Them. Not
1: at first, but they, they get there eventually. Yeah. It just takes a while. But um, I'm just looking ahead, looking at the episode numbers. Uh, 59, that's episode 67. Okay. All right. So, we are now going to change attention to our final book of the episode, which is Strange Tales 125, where the Sensational Submariner tackles our two battling buddies.
0: Is that his
1: adjective? Like,
0: is he always a Sensational Submariner? Like, Incredible I'm Hulk? I'm sure he's the
1: Savage Submariner. Oh, yeah, yeah. When he gets his actual comic. Yeah, he's yeah. He's not the She-Hulk.
0: Savage She-Hulk? Or oh, she's a she, sensational She-Hulk. Oh. Yeah,
1: she's sensational. Well, she, I think she also starts out as savage, but she becomes sensational.
0: Boy, they need to fight over that.
1: Yeah, they do. Um, Human Torch and the Ever-11 Thing, co-featuring Mysterious Doctor Strange, once again Marvel's mighty hero villain joins our two jolly playmates for another round of fun and games. Um, all right. So this is called The Submariner Must Be Stopped. It is written by word-slinging Stan Lee, drawn by picture-sketching Dick Ayers. Inked by ink splatterin' Paul Reinman and lettered by pen pushin' Sam Rosen. Okay, so it starts out with Johnny and Ben fighting because why not? Instead of fighting in Johnny's Glenville house, they're they're fighting in their Baxter Building, you know, Fantastic Four apartment or whatever you want to call it. And uh, two guys from Life Magazine show up on the um, the intercom. Hey, we're here for an interview and things like hey. Johnny, they're here for an interview, and they come on up, and they're like, "All right, ready for an interview." And they're like, um, "No, we wanted, um, we wanted the other two, uh, Mister Fantastic and Invisible. Are, are they here? No, they're not here." And it's like, it "Maybe get, maybe get off the couch for nothing." And so they yell at the guys and send them back, you know, packing. And then while they're talking, they notice on the trouble alert that Submariner is swimming at high speed toward the new york city coast and the thing about the ff annual and how he tried to invade new york at that time and they forget about all the times the submariner has appeared since the ff annual because evidently someone didn't want to research all that so
0: <laughs> well it's just more aggression either way anyway so
1: so they hop in a speedboat and they go out into the ocean and they head towards submariner and uh, they say a bunch of mean stuff. So Submariner jumps out of the ocean and fights them. And they fight. And they fight. And they bicker. And they fight. And they fight. 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 And they bicker. 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 And they fight all they want. And um, at the end of the fight, there, um, I think Reed Richards and Sue Storm come out there. Mm-hmm. And Namor. Oh yeah, Namor starts drying out from the sun. And so they uh, they they convince whenever Reed and Sue get there. Namor just back in the ocean, swims away, or something like that. And uh, he's like, you know, he lied to me. You know, I'm going to remember this. I'll never trust you again. As he's swimming away, and like, what, is, what does that mean? Turns out that Reed Richards had invited Namor over. He invited Namor over for a truce and a talks of peace and how they could all just get along. And so um, whenever Johnny and Ben swam out there to meet him, he was basically... Um, Shooting that whole peace effort in the foot. Mm-hmm. So Johnny and Ben feel like a couple of right nitwits as they all head back to the uh, the Baxter building. And yeah, more promises that the next time we meet, will be a battle to the finish.
0: And the reporters were actually going to write about the thing in the torch, but they wanted to interview Reed and Sue to make it a surprise for some reason. Just to really add on to the guilt, I guess.
1: Oh, is that part of it too?
0: Yeah, that was kind of weird. Like, why would you write about Thing and Human Torch, but not interview them? I don't know. But that was the thing.
1: Oh, I see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So not only did they mess up the stuff with Namor, they also messed up the stuff with the reporters. Because uh, yeah, that's great. Was that's weird. a little bit weird.
0: Yeah, it's a little weird. Um. So yeah, another issue of hot-headed superhero ness because you know nobody talked or asked questions; they just fought. They did. Um, although I will say. Maybe bad leadership, too, because if you're trying to broker peace with Submariner and you know when you're going to do it and on what day and all that, maybe tell your team. That's what's going on.
1: I feel like there are a lot of ways you can handle that. Mm. Leaving people out of the loop is not one of them.
0: Right. Especially if you have a system that alerts you every time Prince Namor swims too fast towards New York.
1: (laughs) And of all the people that make two appearances in Strange Tales, Namor the Submariner was not on my list.
0: Really? Because he appears in everything. You're not wrong. I, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure. We've never tracked it, but I'm pretty sure he's our number one guest star, right? He's got to oh, be. I,
1: yeah, he's got to be. Yeah. Even if we counted villains as guest stars, Namor's got to be the top one out there.
0: Not only in appearance count, but also in, in how many titles he's been in, because he seems like he crosses over into everybody.
1: He hasn't appeared in Spider-Man. There's probably one or two other books he hasn't appeared in, but he's in so many books.
0: Yeah. I'm amazed he hasn't appeared in Spider-Man, to be honest. But I'm sure he will. Uh, So you mentioned that they're not at their house. And I'm wondering if since now the thing is a co-star in this story that they've decided to do away with that weird house that they never explain and just have them live in the Fantastic Four mansion now.
1: That would make sense. I am also curious to see if we see the Glenville house return or if it's all just the Baxter building from now on. Because like we said, Glenville does not exist in Fantastic Four.
0: It Yeah, it never has, and it never gets explained either, like why they're there. Mm-hmm. So I guess it would make sense if it just disappeared. I'd be fine with it, I suppose.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, giving Johnny a place to be that's up for Johnny's solo stories makes a little bit of sense, but why couldn't he just be in the Baxter building?
0: It makes sense when they if they were trying to do a Peter Parker with him, mm-hmm. um, and they kind of did initially, and then Spider-Man came along, and they seemed to devote all their Peter Parker energy to Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. And now Human Torch has not been much of a teenager in a while. He doesn't do the school thing and the girlfriend drama thing and friends thing anymore. He's just right. like superhero guy. I think that may be kind of a shame because he is a teenager. So they could give him more Peter Parker elements. They could have and made this book a little more interesting, maybe.
1: Well, yeah, because they're he's a teen hero, and teen heroes are popular. You have Robin, you have Superboy, you have Supergirl. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of things they could be doing with Johnny that just aren't and, doing.
0: And in a way, he's a unique teen superhero because his identity is public. So right. you could do thing dramatic teenage high school things with him that you can't do with Peter Parker. Like Peter has the whole secret energy hijinks problems, but you've got Tony or er, uh, 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 Johnny here Johnny. who's essentially like a celebrity going to public high school. Like
1: that's that a, is an, that's an a element that I don't know. Thing do they? ever tap into that for Fantastic Four stories? Because I mean, he leaves high school pretty soon. So yeah. I don't think him being a teenager or young adult, I mean, I know like later on, he's like the hot young celebrity, mm-hmm. you know, who just gets the girls and lives a hot star life. Mm-hmm. They've done that before.
0: God, I'm just thinking right now of all the missed opportunities. It's kind of annoying me because he also lives with his sister and no parents. I mean, come on. Talk mm-hmm. about story fodder. Talk about like, Just things you could have done and all they do instead is have them fight like a mundane superhero every story and and just be a – and make sure they get the Fantastic Four to guest star every issue for some reason. Right. Like he could be having his own world right now that's interesting. But oh well. They didn't ask me because I wasn't born. So.
1: Well, um, I don't really have a whole lot to say on this. Uh, I was thinking that maybe we could do a countdown. Like this is our 10th issue. Our 10th from the last. Okay. Uh. Johnny Storm Torch story. And last episode was our 10th from the end Giant Man story. So Giant Man and Torch are going to wrap up at the same time and disappear at the same time.
0: Oh, so like, is this title going away or is it changing to something else?
1: um, Tales to Astonish and Strange Tales both continue, but they both get new lead strips. Mm. So um,
0: I like Johnny and Fantastic Four much better than I do in his own story, sadly. So I, I won't be sorry. Necessarily to see him go.
1: Yeah, I won't really either. Because
0: we'll still read about him.
1: We are also getting. Uh, we're running low on Namor stories before he gets his own series. Uh, sadly, unlike with the Hulk, I don't really feel the sense of a narrative through line here um, with Namor. But he is. Yeah.
0: Yeah, he kind of just does the same one note most of the time.
1: Right. I mean, other than the stuff with his people, but like he found his people, <laughs> and then he was he didn't have his people, but he has like these. Soldiers following him around, and when uh, he needs them, they're there, and when he doesn't, they're not, and sometimes, that's all there's Sometimes he
0: has and then loses and has his people again in the same issue. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of weird.
1: All right. Um So then we have Doctor Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts, mm-hmm. and that is a story that is entitled, Mordo Must Not Catch Me. Ha, 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 you can't catch me. I think that's a Steven Spielberg movie, isn't it? Right. How proud we are that Stan Lee wrote this sensational thriller. How fortunate we are that Steve Ditko drew these magical masterpieces. How triumphant we are that George Bell inked these priceless panels. And how ecstatic we are that Art Simic lettered these deathless phrases. So, no poking fun at the letter at that time. Yeah. Um, alright. So, Baron Mordo's back. Oh, no. Yeah and he is here to hassle Doctor Strange who is of course portrayed in the Marvel Cinematic Universe by Benedict Dharma Mhm.
0: And
1: um, he's just hanging out in his um, office, his his you know mystical place of residence and he's poring over one of his magic books and a whole bunch of dudes like come through the walls to attack him. So he turns around and magic's them, and they're like he's like, "Huh, somebody was trying to attack me. Why?" I'm gonna go over to my magical earth globe that will glow wherever there's evil, and so he uses his his uh, enchanted amulet mm-hmm. to concentrate and find the evil on the earth. And he finds the evil, and then he turns. Uh, he goes to the ancient one. That's where the evil is, and the ancient one is gone. Oh no! So he goes back to um no 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 no. The ancient one is gone. And he hears behind him a voice. He turns around and there is Baron Mordo. Am I mistaken? Did he actually go see the Ancient One or did he just use his amulet to see the Ancient One?
0: He just uses his amulet to not see the Ancient One, essentially.
1: Right, right. So he uses his amulet to go spy on the Ancient One's room because he can do that. He can just look at you wherever you are. Mm-hmm. And the um, Ancient One's not there. So here's Baron Mordo. Baron Mordo has captured the Ancient One. It's holding him prisoner. So Dr. Strange is like, you know what that means? we got to turn into ghost forms <laughs> and fight in our ghost forms so their ectoplasmic forms get like big and giant and start fighting over the city they're like bigger than buildings it's it's you know ectoplasmic and phantasmagorical and they go from from the sea to england to france to 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 egypt to to, to, to john's to underpants India. right <laughs> i knew that felt weird that day so um what Baron Mordo doesn't realize is that Doctor Strange has not been just haphazardly going from the world to world. He's actually been trying to track down the Ancient One. So as he has been going around, he goes down and finds finally the location of the Ancient One. He's been trapped in the Crimson Circle of Sidorak. We're going to come back to that. Okay. And um, he uses his amulet to free the um, what does he do? He tries to use the amulet to free the uh, the Ancient One, but then Baron Mordo attacks him with, like, like like black, wispy things. Anyway, to make a long story tolerable, Baron Mordo loses, and um, Doctor Strange saves the Ancient One, and they decide that now Mordo realizes that Doctor Strange really is strong, so he's not going to attack for a long, long time, at least not until we need another Baron Mordo story, and they go back on the end.
0: Yeah, he's essentially like, so what do you think? Master Ancient One, should I just straight up kill him and and or something like or imprison him or something? And the Ancient One is just like, ah, he knows you can beat him now. Let's just leave him alone. Which I'm not sure if that's a great decision, but it kind of makes seems like an Ancient One decision, right? Like you know, everybody should just be at peace or something. And he he decides to not step on the ant, even though it's a really annoying ant who keeps coming back a lot.
1: <laughs> it's it's Baron Mordo. Mm-hmm. It's just like. I feel like there should be more going on there, but he's just hes just that guy. <laughs> he's not even,
0: like, currently. I am sure, like, if there's huge Doctor Strange fans listening, Baron Mordo is, like, what is he? He's pretty up there as far as, like, his number one villain, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's his number one, but he's at least top, top five. Um, but so far, he hasn't been that interesting. He wants Ancient One's power. That's what he does every time. He doesn't even look that cool. He kind of just always has, like, a, dream, a green jumpsuit and a weird brown thing on his head that makes him look bald or something. And that's about it. Um, I think that's just his hair, dude. Is that supposed to be his hair? I was never sure if it's a hat or his hair, but it's weird, whatever it is.
1: In this one, you're right. In this one, it might be some sort of headpiece, but... But it also looks
0: like there's hair sticking out of the headpiece, so I don't know. He's not that exciting. I imagine eventually they do something interesting with him, but it hasn't happened.
1: Yeah, it hasn't happened yet. Now, he will be part of... There's... There's a pretty extended saga that Ditko's Doctor Strange is kind of known for. It's his last big hurrah and this book. is called The Eternity Saga. And it does involve Baron Mordo and Eternity and um, some other elements. Um, and that's the biggest Baron Mordo story I know of. Other than that, he's just kind of this guy who has really, really bad penis envy with Doctor Strange. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. Now, um... um- is this the first time Doctor Strange is wearing a cape, or is he just off and on with that? It's not red, but it's a big, it's, bellowy cape with a high collar.
1: You're right. He is wearing a cape here. It's not his red cape. He doesn't usually wear the cape. Usually his tunic has that popped collar on it.
0: But it's not as high as this. This is, like, way over his head almost, so.
1: Yeah, yeah. This It is over his head in some panels. Yeah. His head is living in a room. That is known as his Cape Collar.
0: So he looks more like Doctor Strangey now, except it's just the wrong color.
1: Right. Uh, that's I hadn't even noticed that because I remember mentioning last time or the time before that he didn't have his red cloak of levitation yet.
0: Yeah. It needs to be red, that's for sure. Looks weird blue, it, but yep. it's getting closer.
1: We're getting closer there. We're, we're, we're playing with the look. Um okay, I mentioned his trouble detector globe. I thought it was kind of weird that he had that. Like he can zoom in and concentrate on any part of the globe and just it tells him if there's a problem and then he just has to concentrate to find the danger. He's really he, convenient. He
0: seems to have a bunch of devices like that, that, you know, his little own cerebros before cerebro, you know? Like, yeah, I don't know what his level of power is, but that's what magic is, kids. You just don't have to have a
1: rule, I guess. Just do it. And do you recognize the name, the Crimson Cir- Circle of Ciderac?
0: It sounds familiar. A lot of the things he spouts sounds familiar to me, but I don't have, a, like, a particular story reference or idea of why it sounds familiar other than he just says that kind of stuff a lot
1: okay stick a pin in this and put it in your brain under the file juggernaut oh and we're going to come back to this okay
0: so that's what the uh, ancient one is trapped in or no what the is ancient that?
1: one is trapped using the same magic that is um that is connected to the juggernaut somehow some way
0: okay so Mordo is using that whatever that is morto is using that magic yep okay yeah, I feel like Doctor Strange says a lot of words that I that sound familiar to me, and a lot of times I feel like he's saying words that seem like they should be villainous to me. So I wonder if some of the stuff's gonna backfire on him someday. Like he'll say oh, th- he'll say things like "by the power of so and so," and I think isn't that a bad guy later? You know, Dormammu or whatever.
1: Yeah, Dormammu is a bad guy later, and the fact that Doctor Strange calls him is weird. But that that same thing's a plot point in this. Whenever they're fighting, uh, Mordo calls on the hoary hand of Hoggoth. To guide his attack and my thought was Wait a second, isn't Hoggoth a good force? Mm. And then Doctor Strange points it out He says, you've made one irrevocable error You dared call upon the hoary hand of Hoggoth But Hoggoth does not help the wicked people
0: So yeah, we're starting I feel like initially they didn't seem to Differentiate between good or bad magic and now maybe They're starting to Mm -hmm. I don't know
1: Although I'm not super keen on the idea that Doctor Strange Was mainly able to win just because he was the good guy Which is basically what they say at the end Yes, it's true
0: and actually, they just really like undercut Mordo here, kind of, because like now, now where do you go with him? You just established that he can't win. Mm-hmm. So, does he like learn more magic somewhere else? Does he get a, a yellow lantern ring and come back, or or what? I don't know.
1: I don't either. We'll find out. We will, but not
0: this episode.
1: No, not this episode, because that brings us to the end of our episode.
0: Yeah, but not the month. Um, so we got to keep going.
1: Yeah, not the month. We'll have one more episode for this month of July, and that will be out next week. In the meantime, where can they find us, Mike?
0: They can find us at MakeOursMarvel.com, where you will see a website full of linkage that matters, if you care, uh, to Twitter and Facebook, which is our social sites. Um, Or, more importantly, it has links to our feed... Or iTunes, Stitcher, Google, all those fun kind of players that people use. And you can also email us through the site. There's a form on there. Or you can just contact us directly, podcast at makegarsmarvel.com.
1: All right. I'm bringing up the uh, the Twitters to see who all has been following us recently. So I can send uh, some shout-outs and thank yous to all of you out there. We have um, 91 followers on the Twitter right now, which is pretty great. Yeah. Um. No. 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 That's a lie. That can't be. We are following ninety-one people. Thank you. We have three hundred twenty-five. That sounds better. Yeah. That's that sounds more reasonable, right? Yeah. Okay. I was about ready to quit, Um, to be honest. Yeah. (laughs) Ninety-one. Let's get out of here. So we have recently been followed by Patrick Sharp, an LA-based library aficionado and nerd. Event Comics, at Event Comics, shocking final pages, character deaths, continuity obsession, the events, crossovers, and arcs that define Marvel and DC. We have at Thomas underscore Elsby, a tortured soul, courtesy of LUFC, comic book reader and collector, and a good husband. Uh, Tony McVeigh is an aspiring comic book professional. Coffee Hunter, at Mark Jager software engineer, coffee hunter, and world traveler. Uh, J.L. Giles Lovecraft Comics. He's an artist for Marvel Comics. H.P. Lovecraft, Cthulhu. Um, I meant to look up that name to see what they've done for Marvel recently. Hmm. But I apologize. I did not do that. Um, we have Cecilia at Cecilia Sadako, mama and wife to my best friends, proud hafu, picture taker, and geek at heart. And so thank you very much for following us on the Twitters. We always appreciate um, retweets and uh, mentioning us to your friends and family and um, anyone else on the Internet that you care to mention us to. Um, do you want to tell them their homework for next time?
0: Homework. You got three issues. We'll read three. You read three. Same three. Amazing Spider-Man number 17, which is the return of the Green Goblin. And then we got Avengers number eight, which will be the first appearance of Kang the Conqueror, one of the Avengers... Top villains, and then lastly we have Fantastic Four number thirty-one, the third appearance of the Underminer. I mean the Mole Man.
1: Yeah, I think third is right. Yeah.
0: Who cares? Another appearance of the Mole Man. Yep. You can tell how right. enthusiastic I am.
1: <laughs> and we have been uh, liked on Facebook recently by Brian Major and Tony Sart. So thank you very much for that. Um, sharing posts on Facebook is always always appreciated. Um, all right. So, that wraps us up for this episode. We're going to well, finish up July next time. So, until well, then. Wait,
0: wait, wait, wait.
1: Wait, wait, wait.
0: First of all, you didn't plug yourself. I don't know if you want to. Oh, yeah. that's. I, was like, I know I'm forgetting something. What am I supposed to do now? But I want to plug myself. So um, I was. Yeah, plug yourself. I was just going to say that, unusually, I have something else outside of this that I did recently as of this recording. I was on episode number 333. That's 333 of the Wolverine podcast called Schnick, I think is how it goes. The podcast that goes snick. The podcast that goes schnick. But it also has the word Wolverine there, I'm pretty sure. Um, so check that out if you want to hear me talk about something that's not 60s comics. We talk about a, an 80s Uncanny X-Men issue. It's pretty fun. Just type snicked in a search engine. It'll come up.
1: Jason Venable is good people. He does yes. good podcast. Yep. So Jason, so I appreciate show.
0: appreciate him inviting me onto that. It was a fun chat.
1: Um, and yeah, uh, I have... Uh, been working on a transformers podcast it's coming out in the fall uh it's gonna be a TFUK podcast um i am currently available every saturday morning on super silly sentai with my son doing commentaries on the super sentai pre-power rangers japanese tv show i do every month multiple episodes talking about image comics on all the pouches and image comics podcast that is um those are all on twitter at tfuk podcast at silly sentai and at all the pouches and i do a tweet blog at let's talk wanda about the scarlet witch so you should go follow all those and check me out over there so did i forget anything this time i think that's it all right well until next time then or until we get another tales of the watcher series
0: make ours marvel